Welcome to The Laws of Style, featuring conversations on creativity, fashion, and the law from the leading edge of our economy and culture. Hosted by noted fashion lawyer, Douglas Hand. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, The Laws of Style, downloading to you from the law offices of HBA, high above Bryant Park in the fashion district of New York City. I'm your host, fashion lawyer, fashion law professor, and self-styled, well-dressed man, Douglas Hand. I'm joined today by friend and women's footwear designer, Ruthie Davis. Ruthie, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) So, somewhat like me, um, you were a bit of a preppy jock in high school and in college. Um, You know, you, you, you went to Bowdoin. Is Bowden. that right? Bowden. Bowden. I always get that one wrong. Bowdoin. It's Bowden. okay. <laughs> um, and you were the captain of not only the tennis team, but the squash team. So you're a, you're a capable racket woman, um, a capable skier as well. Uh, tell us about those years and that time and how you think athletics, in a way, informed your approach to academia, to design, and your life. Um, well, Great question because, um, you know, athletics have been always been a huge part of my life and they still are today. I'm what you could call a sporty girl. Um, I grew up in a New England family and it's just what we did. You were very, you know, you were outdoors. We weren't allowed to like watch TV. We had to be outside hiking, walking, skiing. You know, that's just uh, from day one. I mean, I started skiing when I was like two or three. and so it was very much, you know, the fabric of my life. And I think it was kind of the first place where I really got to express myself as an individual, um, as an athlete. Because uh, if you think about it, when you're, when you're a kid, and I'm, you know, from everything from a little kid to junior high to high school, even into college, you can't really um, sort of perform on a, uh, on a stage like with the adults, with other people where it's like equal footing but with sports you kind of can like you can beat your brother in tennis you can you know you can give your father a run for his money you can you know whereas like it's not like you have a job you can't like compete in the job world so I kind of found is it's for me sports became an outlet for um, a way to sort of like have goals and and to compete I was you know and to uh it was exciting for me, and it was something that was like a, a larger thing than just within my school. Um, you know, I was on the New England tennis circuit, and you know, I would I was a, uh, a Mad River Glen hopeful, which is like a junior racer. You know, they mm-hmm. call it hopeful. I guess we weren't yet; <laughs> they weren't sure if we were going to make it. Oh, yeah. And I think so. I really loved that. I spent a lot of time doing that, but I also always had a love of fashion and how you look. And so, at a young age, my sport outfits were everything I mean I would you know when I was skiing I thought it was a black tie event uh you know I just I mean I just remember and and, and I think I mean and and this is a personal predilection right um I think snowboarding kind of killed a lot of a lot of the après ski style and a lot of the 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 cool Wagner stretch pant Mm -hmm. looks that you saw when we were kids skiing in the 70s and 80s, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. it was, so that was kind of like a, an, an apex of, of that look. Yeah. Did that, in a way, help inform your design or? or in a huge way. I mean, I, you know, I grew up watching the Jetsons. 
You know, I've always been into futurism. I've been into tech. I've been into sport. You know, I always like the, you know, like the James Bond girl in the one-piece cat suit shushing down the mountain. Mm -hmm. You know, that to me is sexy. That to me is amazing. Um, I always liked a one-piece ski suit, like a stretch Bogner, like you're saying. You know, I was wearing Montclair well, well before it was cool. Um, I mean, I remember also just like literally, you know, uh, crying, pleading to my parents to get new ski boots. It was like everything for me. If I didn't have like the new color buckle boot, like I would beg and beg and they would not necessarily give me these things. Well, and Northeastern parents, right? That's oh, kind yeah. of a, that's the preppy ethos. It was you, a whole... What, what, what did your older sister have? Exactly. I had huge hand-me-downs and um, so I really... Um, you know, and I'm thinking back in like when I played field hockey in, in high school, junior high, you know, I used to put together my kilt in a certain way. I always hiked mine up, made it a little shorter. Um, I would just, my tennis outfits, um, you know, I, uh, that's back when bandanas were in, so I'd wear the bandana <laughs> and, you know, I would have these cool outfits. And I really, you know, also, I, a lot, a lot, when I was growing up, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not you know, I'm older, I guess, um, you know, growing up, like you said, 70s, 80s. And even back then, like when I was in college at Bowdoin College, you know, cabinet tennis team, a lot of the, the, the girls who were sort of the jocks, if you will, they were kind of they, the really good athletes kind of dressed less feminine, you know, because it was like, if you're a good athlete, you got to dress kind of, we, we used to call it their jockey. It's like right. a jockey look. It's like more like a guy, you know, and I was never that, you know, I'd wear my high ponytail and my ribbon, it would match my skirt, and I used to love that, and, and I'd go out to, against these other teams, and they'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to beat that girl. Right, sporty and then, Barbie. Yeah, and then I would beat them, <laughs> and that, to me, I used to love that. So, anyways, this segued into what I've always loved in fashion, which is the coming together of sort of futurism, tech, um, sport, function. and then high, and function, with high fashion, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that has always been from day one. I've loved it, and I've been into it. You know, I remember when Prada Sport launched mm -hmm. and Chanel Sport. I think that was in the nineties. They yeah. like sort of, I Saw like that was when I was working at Reebok, and every time I'd go to Hong Kong for work, I would go to the, you know, they had these great the store Joyce in Hong Kong, and they would have all the Prada Sport, and I would buy up as much as I could afford, you know, like because it was yeah. like, oh my God, this is exactly what I like. You know, it was like finally what I, the coming together of the things I loved. Right. Um, so, well, so I'm not yeah. going to be a slave to chronology here, but sure. we'll put a pin in Reebok. Okay. And what we'll talk about is from college, you went on to get an MBA. From right. having the MBA, you then went into design. So was there anything about obtaining the MBA or that process of focusing on marketing, and you know a bit of finance and a bit of management that 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 made you feel like those skills were best deployed for a fashion brand i have a very unique story for a fashion designer in that yes i did not go to a design school i went to liberal arts college majored in english minored in visual arts mm -hmm. i always liked art i always liked drawing um, but i never thought it could be a career i come from a family of marketers um, uh, my grandfather wrote the first textbook in America on advertising. He was the head of the journalism department at Penn State. Um, 
you know, so I, you know, and then other people in the family have been so, so, you know, my brother was a big advertising guy when I was in college. He lived in New York City and I used Mm -hmm. to visit him. I just didn't think I could be a designer. I don't know why. It just didn't register. Um, So, uh, you know, I actually was going to wanted to be combining the sort of the communications and the sports. So I thought I want to be in the sports journalism is what Mm -hmm. I originally thought. And so I did have a a career. I did work at ESPN. I did work at the Hartford Current. um, And I opened my own uh, business, which was actually a a workout studio. And I also, you know, uh, did videos because I had done the on-air stuff with ESPN. So I thought I wanted to be like an on-air sports, whatever. And um, I think that was the first taste of this being an entrepreneur but not just being an entrepreneur where I was the product because I was marketing myself as the instructor, you know, walk the walk, like look, you know, you work hard, you can look, you you know, have a good workout body, you know, like, and I would have to design the classes, market myself to them to come to my classes. And the element of brand. And then it was was branding with my own name as well as running a business. Uh, From graduation from liberal arts school, uh, a great one to uh, some work experience, and then getting an MBA uh, and focusing on marketing. Did that inform your job choice in design, or how did your first design job come about? Um, You know, I think I was uh, coming out of Babson. Um, Obviously, you know, I had run my own business, the, the workout studio. I knew I wanted to do something with in the sports world, communications, marketing, sort of entrepreneurial. Um, and I had a couple interviews lined up, the first round of interviews with, um, which were interesting, Gatorade, uh, the NBA Association, and Reebok, um, all of which were in the Boston area, which is where, in you know, Boston, Babson is. Yeah. all sporty. Yeah, all sporty all and all different. different. Yeah, yeah, so I was trying out different things. The first interview was at Reebok, and I actually went in for a job that was sort of more marketing-oriented. It was called Marketing Communication Specialist. Okay. Um, and, you know, long story short, I ended up, I went in for one job, and in the middle of the interview, they interrupted me and said, you know, this would be great, but we have this other job that you're technically... Hey, Bob, Sally, yeah. you got to meet this girl. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. <laughs> and so next thing I know, you know, I just had the right elements they were looking for. I'd done the sort of the power walking, the fitness walking with the gym I had, and uh, they needed someone in associate product manager in the walking division. And um, even though I was technically underqualified, they just liked this combination of this person who kind of, you know, been the instructor and had an MBA. Right. And, uh, and new brand, because you went right. in to interview for a, a, a sort of brand-facing job. Right. And, and I guess came out yeah. with a with with a, a job in, right. in product with... Uh, so h- describe that job. What, what well, within the Reebok great. empire were you I was you very handling? lucky because Reebok's an excellent company, especially to, to, to cut your teeth on, to learn the business. You know, they send you overseas. You go to the factories. You know, the way that Reebok was structured at the time, I don't know if it still is, they had these silos. So every sport was almost like its own little business, own business venture. And so yeah. you had someone in, in charge of that division, if you will, you know, um, whether it's tennis, running, aerobics, whatever. And, and, and so basically 
basically they they ran it like its own machine and the person in charge would coordinate the marketing the design the sales you know the merchandising all of that and so it was very much what I had studied as in you know entrepreneurship and so um it was a very exciting time and I approached it from the get-go as I really wanted to know, you know, I was taught this is in my MBA to really learn uh, the customer. Part of marketing mm-hmm. is, you know, the four P's of marketing and people is one of them. And so I was a big believer in really understanding the customer. So this was sort of pre-Instagram, pre, I don't know, cell phone, I think. I mean, it was like pre-everything. Email? And I think barely pre yeah you check, you I, I check your email inter- once at the end yeah, of the day I think we had inner office right. mail like I don't think email was like inner I don't know I can't even remember but it was like and so really it was all about like when I was in walking I went out and started walking I I went and interviewed people I did I walked the New York Marathon you know they couldn't sell walking shoes overseas as well as in America which were mostly white walking shoes yeah. and I went over and walked this four-day event they had in Nijmegen Holland and, you know, all the executives, they had me write a report of my findings. And it was real simple. It was like, um, they're not walking in white walking shoes. They're walking in brown walking shoes. So, you know, I ended up creating this off-road walking, like, uh, collection, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was like, this is what I like to do, these little collections of things that has, a, you know, and I designed an outsole on the walker that was a map of Holland, you know, um, so there was a story behind it yeah. and, you know, these kinds of things. And when I was in the classics. Did you get it trademarked? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unfortunately Reebok not. legal. They should have been on um, that. When I was in the classic division, you know, it was so great because I did my research. And the classics in the 90s, you know, they were the white, the classic leather jogger, the freestyle, the princess. They're there. You know, they've been around for since the 70s when they came, you know, mm-hmm. the, the company came to America from from London and um they are what people wear not for sport but just for you know hanging out and what was lacking and the reason they were getting a little stale in the market was because they didn't sort of hook up with what people were wearing Mm -hmm. and this was the 90s when the hookups was born the whole concept of like I want my sneakers to hook up with my outfit And so I used to take a bag of shoes and go to the markets, which were Philly, D.C., Harlem, you know, me and my colleagues, and we would literally talk to consumers on the street and say, you know, how do you want us to make this shoe? And the girl would be like, well, I'd like the freestyle in bright yellow to match my bright yellow bubble jacket. And we would do it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't rocket science. And so I loved doing new collections so I did this I called them classic derivatives and I did these ice colored outsoles that are like icy blue rubber on the jogger I did the colored freestyle I did the chunky bottom you know all of these like kind of new versions of the classics Mm -hmm. and it was super exciting got a lot of traction and I actually got a lot of press as um, the cool hunter they called me the cool hunter of Reebok so it was kind of like I was sort of making my mark as being, you know, almost a stylist. So one of the things that I really, and, and when I talk to young people in design, you know, there's many different ways to approach being a designer. And I'm much more of, of a designer where marketing and design overlap. You know, whenever I design, I don't just like sit by a stream and draw a beautiful shoe you know, it's very much, there's a brief. It's like, who's the customer? What's the purpose? 
what are they, you know, what is their favorite color? What are they wearing? What's working now? Mm-hmm. And it's more problem solving. You know, also it's what, what I want, you know, what I think is cool, what's on trend. Mm-hmm. And then I take all that and I put it in a blender and design a shoe. And I kind of learned that. I started honing that skill at Reebok. And that's when I realized, like, I had better ideas than a lot of the designers. And in fact, my ideas would sell really, really well, like huge numbers. And that's when, you know, Ugg started calling me and they basically, a headhunter called me and they were like, you know, we want you to come work at Ugg. And they basically said, we want you to do with the classic Ugg what you did with the classic Reebok. Got it. So Ugg snatched you from Reebok. You had updated the classic program. And it still is... Well, they're bringing them all back yeah, now. Yeah, from your playbook. Yeah. I mean, I saw, you know, I know of Gigi Hadid's collaboration right. with them. I mean, they've got uh, uh, one with opening ceremony. They've got a number of collaborations, which we'll get into that being part of the Ruthie Davis playbook as well. Right. Uh, but also just updating the classics. And so UGG, which I know from being uh, born and raised Southern Californian, um, as an ugly surf boot, right? Yeah. It was, it kept your feet warm on the beach. You didn't really wear it in the street and that's what it stood for. And it had a great name in that little narrow market segment, but all of a sudden it blew up and they needed to, to find style points somewhere. So they hire Ruthie Davis. What was that experience like? It was a great experience because again, I was, I feel very, uh, fortunate that I was sort of in the right place at the right time. Um, the funny part, and I don't even, I, I rarely tell this to many people. This is insider information. It's kind of interesting. So at first they emailed me and they said they were focused more. I don't know if you've ever heard of Simple Shoes. Yeah. Okay. Another, so, I, is it Southern California? Yeah, it's well? the same. It's well, they're, they're old, owned yeah. by Decker's Outdoor Corporation, yeah. which owned Simple and Doug. Okay. And, and Teva Sports Sandals. Okay. Those were their three brands. So they actually first started talking more about Simple. And, you know, they wanted to update that like the classics and make it more, you know, everything. And then there was kind of a little talk of UGG, but it wasn't like, and and when I went out there to interview, that's when they're like, oh, well, we want you to do simple and UGG, you know, so it became. The old conglomerate, you know, you're you're not being hired for one job. You're being hired for three because we have three portfolio companies. And this this is the truth. When I went out there, and one of the reasons I also wanted to, worked there because it was in Santa Barbara, California. And I'd had one too many winters in Boston. I was like, <laughs> I love you, Reebok, man, but uh, I'm sick of digging out my car right. on, you know, Newberry Street. You know, I can root like, for the gauchos. That's right, fine. exactly. Yeah. So, um, but what was really interesting, and they actually used to say this at the, the company. They, would, they used to call Ugg the black sheep of the company, okay. which is so funny because now it's like the superstar of the company. Mm. Um, and they just, it was always an afterthought because it was like a surfer dude thing. And it was like, they wanted it to be, you know, authentic or, you know, just to do its thing in the surfer community. Yeah. And, but when. Well, and it was very hard from that design, that mm-hmm. iconic sheepskin boot design. Right. To envision much else. I mean, where, right. where, where, where do you take design right. from that? Right. To where it is now, which is candidly kind of all over the place. Right. So basically, it's real simple. They invite they they wanted a, a woman from the East Coast, where they weren't selling Uggs well as well as the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So I knew the East Coast, and they wanted someone who had the fashion angle, and the marketing angle, that could bring that to the design. And as I always tell people, I didn't reinvent the wheel at Ugg. You know, I just added the sizzle to the steak. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a great product, and they still do. 
It's a great functional product. And they just needed to do some tweaking to make it more valid. But in addition, they had never hired. I was the first, you know, marketer, designer person they hired to be in charge of UGG. Um, and so I put in a marketing plan, and they gave me a budget. And, you know, it was the first time I, I hired a New York PR agency. Um, I did product seeding in L.A., like to the TV shows, the studios, so that they would wear Uggs on TV. Mm-hmm. Because Uggs is a very recognizable product. Some products you can see it on TV, and you don't know what they are if you don't see the label or something. Right. An Ugg boot, you just see it. So it's, mm-hmm. like, a really great for that kind of marketing. Trade dress. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and uh, you know, kind of made – I repositioned the product as more luxury, like, because the East Coast, we think of sheepskin as luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made – we did some more sort of luggy outsoles, kind of made them more weatherproof right. because the perception on the East Coast was that they weren't. These won't hold up. And they, they wouldn't didn't hold, up. hold up. Early no, Uggs the original that I used to wear on the streets Ugg, of New yeah. York City did not hold up. Right. So we, we kind of redesigned it, tweaked it, repositioned it. And what people, you know, it, it took three years of like a marketing plan, redesigning product, all of this before it took off, mm-hmm. you know. And it was in, uh, you know, early 2000 that Uggs became the hot new fashion thing and everybody was wearing Uggs with their, you know, little jean skirts right. and whatever it was. It but was it look. wasn't it wasn't by happenstance. This was a planned thing where they said, we need to do this. You know, they hired people yeah. like myself. And, and you were out there the whole time, out on the West yeah, Coast. Yeah. And so what was that experience like? I mean, you were such a Northeasterner yeah. at that point. How foreign was Santa Barbara or how... At home were you there? Because, you know, again, yeah. I self-described myself as, as, a, as a preppy jock. Yeah. But I'm from Southern California. There there kind of was right. or is, I think, some affinities to, to certain regions of Southern California to to certain regions outside of Boston. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, I think I had always personally loved the West Coast when I was at Reebok and just growing, you know, I would visit the West Coast a lot. And I knew I had an affinity. You know, I'm a very outdoorsy person. I love the sun. I love the outdoors. You know, I love cut-off shorts, you know. Um, so I love the whole, like, surfer dude concept, you know. Um, you know, so uh, Malibu Barbie, you know. <laughs> um, it's always been a thing I've been into. So that was easy to adjust to. It was funny, though, because when I first moved out there, was working there, I remember I used to shut down the building because they would all be, at 5 o'clock, everybody left work. You know, they all went surfing or whatever it was. Right. And, you know, th- I had that East, East Coast work ethic where I would just, like, stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an, an adjustment. Um, and uh, it was an adjustment to have the weather nice every day. You know, I was like, I need a rainy day now and then to, yeah. you know, get caught up. Yeah. Um, the lack but, of seasonality for, yeah. for a fashion person can yeah. be a little disorienting. Yeah, because you can't, you, the outfits are, you know, especially because I like winter outfits, like ski outfits. Outfits, of course it was a little do. tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But all Mam- in all, Mammoth I loved Mountain's it. not that far away, though. No, that's yeah. true. Um, and so, yeah, all in all, it was a. I loved it, and it was an exciting. But the main, the main reason it was important in my career mm-hmm. is it was kind of like I, I kind of tested the water at Reebok, and then with UGG, it was like I was a bigger fish in a smaller pond, and I really saw that I made a difference, and it gave me the confidence to say I could do this for myself. Yeah. You well, know, I could do my went, own brand. Right. Then you went to Tommy for a period of time. Um, right. And that was focused on footwear as well? 
Yes, I was uh, in charge of women's footwear and marketing. And then, of course, when I accepted the job, they then informed me I'm also going to do men's footwear marketing. Right. Not men's footwear, just the marketing of it. (laughs) They they added that on. But, um, you know, honestly, I was planning to launch Ruthie Davis, or my own brand, Mm -hmm. um, when I was at UGG's. I was starting to think about it. You know, I kind of did what I needed to do there. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was form. you know, I'd already, I actually had designed the collection and, you know, started like working on it simultaneously while I was there, figuring out my next move. And that's when, um, you know, I got a call from Tommy Hilfiger people and they really made me a great offer. And I talked to sort of my advisors, you know, in my life, people I go to. Everyone was like, look, you've worked at a Reebok, you've worked at an UGG, you haven't worked at like a technically like a New York fashion brand. You know, you need that. And again, I come from people who are very into like as much education as possible, you know. So if you can, you know, get more education before you do your own business. So I remember I was almost like, when I was given the offer at Tommy, it was, you know, they moved me across the country and the whole thing. I was like crying because I knew I was going to have to give up my dream for a while. And I was like, I knew I needed to do it and it would be good for my career. It would break me into Manhattan and that whole world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was, I was sad. So I, I put my ideas on ice. And I do remember when I first started at Tommy, it was like in January of like 98, I think, or wait, no, maybe it was 2001. I'm getting the years. I have to pull my resume. Sorry, I'm getting old. That's all right. Um, whatever it was, it was January. And I just remember they put me up initially in a hotel. I was staying at the W Hotel because, you know, I hadn't gotten an apartment yet, you know, moving across the country. And I actually had shipped from Italy that came to my hotel room, my first set of samples for the Ruthie Davis line, ah. which I never did. I just like put on ice. Right. It was kind of interesting. So, um, you know, so I was at Tommy and, you know, the same things I'd done at my other jobs. I was like, okay, how can I make it better? How can I make it cooler? My whole thing with Tommy, it was a little bit too preppy. It wasn't like, you know, there was a side of Tommy that I liked because he had a side that liked the rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of rock and roll side he of Tommy? connected with rock and roll and hip-hop. So hip-hop. they're very music-oriented affiliations. Yeah, and when I was there at that time, whatever the year was, it was like they'd gotten a little too much in the preppy rut. They were trying to be too that, mm-hmm. and they had lost that other kind of appeal. So I really was working to bring that back, and I, I did shoes that were like a little more high fashion, a little more cool, a little more street, um, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I launched Tommy Girl shoes, which they never had had. That was like, you know, they had Tommy Girl apparel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, again, trying to be entrepreneurial. And, you know, it was a great experience. And I got to understand licensing because I worked between, it was Stride Right made the shoes, and Tommy Hilfiger was like the parent. Right. So it was like I had to be the go-between. Um, but, you know, it was a couple years in, two plus, maybe almost three years in, and just traveling like crazy and, uh, one day between trips to Brazil and China, my husband stopped me and he, I was like, I don't have time to talk. I have to pack. And he said, can I just quickly ask you a question? And I was like, sure, what? And he's like, just, just, I, I need like an update. Is your goal, what's your goal these days? Is your goal to be president of Tommy Hilfiger or Tommy Hilfiger? I just, I just need it, you know, I need an update. 
And right. I just stood there for a minute, caught in my tracks, because it was like, because I'm the kind of person, I, I, I really work hard, and I get really yeah. into it, and I want to please my bosses. And, and the blinders and come on. The blinders come on, to. and I just get in the, the cycle, and I need someone to stop me. And I, I said, Tommy Hilfiger, and he like was like, Mom, you better get busy, because you ain't getting any younger. So that's when I really started to realize it was time, if I was going to yeah. make the leap, to do Ruthie Davis. So we're at? 2006, roughly. Yeah. And you launch your eponymous brand. Correct. So you had done the the legwork, you'll excuse the pun, in terms of, of understanding product and understanding marketing footwear product. Um, you you had some bona fides given some of the vertical integration within Reebok of, of running a small business. Um, brand was important. You chose to name the brand after yourself. How much thought went into that decision, um, or was it a foregone conclusion just based on the conversation you had with your husband? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, you know what? It's funny because, and you know, when you start out these things, you have big dreams and goals, and you know, and then as time goes on, they they evolve. But it's kind of interesting story. I actually, uh, my original like logo and trademark, whatever, was actually Davis. Mm-hmm. And my whole thinking at the time, you know, was I loved Chanel, Prada, Gucci. And it's kind of funny that I actually thought, like, I could be the next, like, <laughs> Prada or Gucci. But well, whatever the case, I wanted, like, a strong word. Like, I, I yeah. just, I don't know what I read or why I had this on my mind. I just thought Davis would be a cool name. So I was going to name it Davis. Mm-hmm. and Or I did name it Davis. And I launched as Davis. And um, I actually... Right from the get-go, had a had a PR agency, and the celebrities. Uh, I had some early adopters of the brand, and apparently, my PR people said to me, "You know, Ruthie, everybody thinks that you're a man because it's called Davis. So they don't know you're a woman, and usually, women don't do such sort of like sexy, hot, luxury shoes. Most of that is men designers. Mm-hmm. You know, like." Giuseppe Zanotti, Lou Bouten, Manolo, Jimmy right. Choo, the list goes on. Um, and so we, we think it's interesting. We want to let the world know that you're a woman because that's cool. So they, so they convinced me to call it Davis by Ruthie Davis. So then I, I know because I have all these different logos from the shoe, like the little right. Davis by was kind of a long, you know. Yeah. And so that that just was a mouthful, Davis uh, by Ruthie Davis. Like, why do I need to do that? circular, And right? then it was like, I mean, if you look at shoes, I mean, it's yeah. usually the person's name for like a shoe, luxury shoe designer. Yeah. Um, so I just was like, you know, Christian Louboutin, Ruthie Davis, you know. So I finally just went with Ruthie Davis. Okay. So I didn't really think, you know. Did you have any conversations with any advisors at that point in time about it being an eponymous brand and then if and when you got to the point of taking on partners, taking on investors, even selling the company or licensing the name out to a third party that you'd have a, a personal decision to make in addition to a business decision? No one actually really advised me on that point for some reason. The only point they advised me on was to make sure I had, uh, like when I, when I incorporated, that the name would be a different name. So if you're if you're sued, it wouldn't be your name being sued, Ruthie Davis. It would be the holding company or whatever. Right. So I was advised on that, but I wasn't advised on that other point. And 
if you ask me that today, right, right now, for example, I will. like, are you worried I about will. that? Okay, well, do you want me to answer now? <laughs> yeah, how okay. do you, so how it's do you? It's funny, because I honestly, I'm going to give you the truth, like, bring it on. Like, that's right. a high class problem. If someone invests in me and mm-hmm. they paid me X gazillion dollars or million dollars <laughs> or whatever it is, or like bought my company and they own my name, I'd be, have fun with it. You know, I mean, right. to certain, like, let's put it this way. I don't plan on, like, let's say uh, someone buys the Ruthie Davis brand and then they can do what they want with it or they you have my name. Right. I'm fine with that because I don't plan on launching another Ruthie Davis brand. Mm-hmm. Like I've done, I'm only doing that once, you know, so... If I'm still involved with the company, like, that's fine. They, you know, I'll be there to make sure. That's what I'd like, right. you know, is to still be involved. But I, I, for some reason, I'm not that afraid of that. Like, you can, that's a, great. You can have my name. Because I figure if they, if they like, go down market or they, they do, like, volume shoes, I'll just tell people. I'll be like, yeah, they paid me, you know, X amount, and now they're doing volume. Well, they, they may also try to have you adhere to a non-disparagement clause. So, oh, so, right. So you that's know, what, fine. What, I wouldn't say that then. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could say it. You'd just be in breach of the non-disparagement right. clause. You know, it, 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 it leads to a number of things like that that any investor or acquirer would, would then care about. I mean, just by way of fairly recent example, um, last year during the Harvey Weinstein scandal, mm-hmm. um, and you know, really before the Me Too movement had had a lot of traction, Donna Karen, when asked for comment about Harvey Weinstein, made some statements that that most of the world viewed as supportive of him, uh, and many wholesale accounts actually dropped oh, the right. Donna Karen line. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, Donna Karen doesn't own her company any longer, right, so right. that didn't really hurt her. But G3, who did own the company, had a real negative impact there. So investors or acquirers oh, have to take right, certain precautions right. if the name is – or John Galliano and his rant, right? right? Like that's an obvious business risk that you don't have if right. it's called the purple alligator right. or – you know. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there, there are – conversations that, for instance, I have with early stage companies, if if I'm catching them early enough before they've decided to name the brand, that might steer them away from eponymous brands, right. or at least educate them in, in terms of knowing what the implications could be in the context of a sale yeah. or an investment. No, it's a really, it's a really valid point. And, you know, I wish I had spoken to you at the, at the <laughs> outset. But for me, it actually... You know, I'm I'm uh, what a, like 11, 12 years in mm-hmm. to having a brand, and um, it's so it, I can't imagine it with a different name because it's kind of like the original job I told you, the workout studio. It's very much I have this hashtag walk the walk that I use, yeah. and you, I have to be an active participant. It's really about me. Yeah. You know, this is I'm a woman. Des- you know, my whole story is I'm a woman designing for women. I'm a female entrepreneur. It's Ruthie Davis, you know, it's a stamp of approval. You know, I design the shoes, I make the shoes, I wear the shoes, you know, um, I want to represent for you. So if it wasn't my name, it's just my whole brand story wouldn't really work. Yeah, no, that's that's a very fair point. And I think a lot of designers feel that way Mm -hmm. as well in terms of the authenticity. Um, Exactly. So, yes, you are a female entrepreneur and a CEO, and while – women as consumers far outweigh men by, you know, uh, 
by orders of magnitude in terms of dollars spent, they don't outweigh the the presence of of men in boards boardrooms and you know other C suite positions. Can you comment on any of the challenges that you faced, whether it was you know more institutional at, at Reebok or UGG, um, or you know just just in selling the brand to wholesale accounts and and those wholesale accounts being again largely dominated at, mm -hmm. at the C-suite level by, by male voices? People ask me that a lot. And I really think, you know, it's funny because I almost, it wasn't just that I was in a lot of these, like at Reebok and places like that, there were a lot more men than women. And it wasn't just so much I was towing the woman line, it was also the fashion line because they were very like more techy. You know, right, right. so it's like I was pushing the fashion angle. I was more aware of pushing the fashion angle than the woman angle, if that makes sense. But um, honestly, in my career, you know, first of all, I'm very lucky because I'm very, very grateful that I had uh, an incredible upbringing and incredible parents. And from day one, you know, they, they said you could be whatever you want to be. You know, you have to work hard, good New England parents. You know, you have to find your passion, work hard you can do anything. So they never put any limitations on me whatsoever. They, you know, they treated the daughters and the sons exactly the same. Um, so I'm very lucky to have that. And, and, you know, so that did mold me a lot. And I do come from, uh, you know, a long line of women. Uh, you know, all of my grandmothers went to college. I think my great grandmothers went to college and wow. I'm the youngest of six kids. So those, that's pretty old, you know, like <laughs> that was like women didn't even go to college. I know my great-grandmother, my mother's mother's mother was a, a milliner in San Diego. So my mother was a, a naval brat. Her father was an admiral in the Navy. So she okay. lived all throughout the world. She was actually born in San Diego. But um, she was a hat designer. So she had her own hat brand. Um, so I've always kind of had this very strong female, uh, you know, they all were educated and they had careers. So um, it never was a thing for me, I think. And as far as like the whole, you know, the Me Too movement and the women's movement, the angle that I always take on that is really more about focusing on what I like to call, you know, I'm a big girl power person, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm all about women supporting women. And I focus more on, it's not about the men and the women, it's more about the women supporting the women that I think is, is where I like to, keep it focused mm -hmm. because you can't control everybody you know you can't control the universe but as women we can support each other and you know historically I think I think it's things have changed and women are much more supportive of each other now but I know that in you know women can sometimes be competitive with other women and you know I like the feeling I'm I'm a big you know proponent of like I like to be surrounded by women who are smarter than me prettier than me you know doing more than me like I like that that I get you know I get excited by that and it's not like you have to be you know put other women down to to move up I think those days are done where there's enough room for a couple women at the top mm -hmm. so that's kind of I think you know back when I was in the ranks there weren't as many women in the higher role so it was a little bit of a I don't want to say cat fight but like you know, it was it was almost like competitive like within the were, women. Yeah, yeah. And there was only one role at the top, and you had to fight it out because yeah. they weren't going to make room. And and so perhaps I just, based on merit, 
they were going to just fill what they felt was an acceptable quota of some minority representation. Right. So I just think that it's the key is for women to focus on supporting each other. And, you know, I think that women can do anything. Well, recently you've partnered with Disney on Mm -hmm. a very, very successful collaboration, Disney Princess X, Ruthie Davis. I'm never sure with the X or by or, you know, the X X is literally an X in most cases, but a brand collaboration with Disney that we worked on together. Um, You did most of the work. I I simply papered. Yeah. Um, Appreciate your help. But characters like Snow White, um, Mulan, Jasmine. Um, So a spectrum of Disney princesses, you know, some from really, really early Disney tales, fairy tales uh, to the more more current ones. Do you think that that collaboration or your business in particular provides a platform to speak to teenagers, young women, older women who, you know, who can wear the product in a positive way? hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, first of all, the Disney collaboration came about, you know, they actually found me. I had done something with Home Shopping Network with Beauty and the Beast, and they mm-hmm. they said, "Can we work with her directly? Do you mind?" And so, and the reason is they did their research, and Disney is all about storytelling. So when they collaborate with and do products, you know they have a huge division that's all products and licensing of you know their assets. Mm-hmm. Um, they look for partners that you know basically fit with the perpetuate the story that are that are in sync with the story so when they're looking for someone to do disney princess shoes for adults um they would like to have someone who can represent a modern day princess you know and they were like wow this is great this is a woman she's a female entrepreneur she's working hard going after her dreams independent all of that and so they're like we need to meet her because this can be, you know, this is really in sync with the Disney princess story because that's the whole point. Um, so that's how that came about. And it's been an incredible partnership, collaboration, working with them. I actually work with mostly all women at Disney and they're an amazing company to work with. Um, and, you know, they're very involved with charities, like as far as they have this whole thing called Girl Up and it's, it's all about, you know, it's involved with girls, underprivileged girls, you know, girls who need help with different things, education, et cetera. They're very much into, they, their hashtag is hashtag dream big princess. So mm-hmm. these are all things that I buy into as well. So this was like a marriage made in heaven between me and Disney princess. Um, but in general, you know, with the Ruthie Davis brand, as I always say, you know, my brother-in-law is a, a brain surgeon. I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing brain surgery here. This is shoes. You know, I'm not curing cancer. But if, if, if I can make women feel good in any way, give them a little bit of a, a, a confidence lift, maybe inspire them, um, you know, make them feel good when they wear my shoes, that they can, when they walk in the room, they have a certain posture, a certain gait. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people I don't design shoes uh to make a woman look like sexy or good for a man that Mm -hmm. is not what i do i've designed shoes for the woman i always say for the woman to stand tall for herself Mm -hmm. and so i'm always and you know i mentioned walk the walk i do have the i do like a sound bite you know i come from advertising people um so like 
hashtag walk the walk I use a lot and I, I really and I was doing walk the walk back at Reebok when I walked a four-day walking event right. you know this is a, th- a theme a thread and throughout my life where um, I like to be an active participant and and you know practice what I preach and I like to like set a an example um, that you know for young women that you know anybody can do anything you know that you just have to like do it you know so it's if I can like you know giving back to women I'm very into girl power I Mm -hmm. really am and especially passing it forward to young people Mm -hmm. and they could actually be boys too I mean if they want I like boys too so it girls or boys or men or women I should say you know um any you know I speak a lot to different you know but they can be business students, they can be design students. I'm on a bunch of committees or boards of like an education committee or this and that. And it's always, you know, the same message. Yeah. You well, know? What's interesting about what the fashion industry puts out there in terms of product, I mean, let's face it, your products are not really about clothing as they are about an attitude and a confidence that the wearer can get from them. And that's what high fashion items are. You know, no one needs high fashion items. You know, they're, they're not necessarily practical in certain ways in terms of functionality. They have to function. And given the height of some of your heels, it's, it's a marvel that they do function. It's a high bar of functionality. But what you are giving people is is actual emotion positive emotion and confidence and you know the laws of style which maybe you've read maybe you haven't it's geared towards men yes of course you have um you know that's a lot of what we talk about in terms of putting yourself forward in the most confident way that you can because if your clothes help you do that then it becomes this positive feedback circle where people are looking at you a certain way because you've walked into the room and maybe you looked a few inches higher uh, and and your chin was up and then all of a sudden you're getting that feedback back from them and you are even more elevated just in terms of your your personal confidence and that can lead not just to how you look but the things that you say and the weight that they carry which for a lot of occupations certainly lawyers is an important thing um, and so I think it's great that, that you found a collaboration that also carries that message and, you know, along with some of, you know, the stories that we cherish. You've done a number of collaborations over the years. I guess talk about how those have come about and are they similarly aligned with the girl power or walk the walk or do some of them just come about because they, um, you know, they're just natural in, in the cycle of the company? I think it's a it's a combination it's just uh, most of most of it's organically evolves or you know I may set my mind on something and just kind of go after it that mm-hmm. I think is gonna could work uh, I liken it to my entrepreneurial roots I think it's it's um you know this whole thing of staying valid in the industry you don't want to get stale and by doing these collaborations it's 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 something new it creates a new concept. It's a new product. And I, I just love the concept of collaboration. In fact, when I launched Ruthie Davis, I actually, this was, you know, back in, you know, 2006 or whatever. Right. But when I was working on it, it was a little before 2006, like, half, you know, 2005, because, you know, the 
the first collection was right so I used to tell people because they would say you know you're doing you're designing a shoe brand that's so hard like what is it gonna look like and they would have all these questions and I would so I realized I needed a good sound bite so I used to say right. well I'll tell you what it's gonna be and, and they, go, well, they go what I said well imagine and don't forget this is 2005 so things you know that was a bit ago yeah. so okay Imagine a Manolo Blahnik and a Nike had a baby. What would it look like? Yeah. And boom. and boom, they would just yeah. look at me with this look like, oh. Ah. And they were intrigued. <laughs> it was like this intrigued look. Right. And it would shut them up, actually. Like, they would stop grilling me. Yeah. Like, I would give them that. And so I've always, like, I love that concept. In fact, that's the whole concept of Ruthie Davis. And... Um, I actually love, I just read an article in Business of Fashion about um, Off-White, Virgil mm-hmm. Abloff, and like he was saying how a lot of people say that he, you know, that there's inspiration of other products, that whole concept, and he was likening it to um, remixes in music and stuff. Right. It's a compliment. It's kind of like collaborating. It's like you take a little from this song, a little from this song, you add your little percent of your idea put it together you know yeah. which I, I i agree with him i like that i think that's an interesting well thing. and this is the fashion lawyer talking here right yeah. but very little in design is is protectable for that reason uh, you know right. every designer stands on the shoulders of the thousands of designers that came before them and and garments have a certain garments and footwear and even accessories have a certain configuration they have to adhere to. Right. So it becomes very difficult to start to be proprietary over design right. unless it is truly novel. Right. And that can be a frustrating But I feel like if you designers. do this new thing, like we're talking a collaboration, that concept, it does become new. Yeah. You know, I know for me, I've never been the person, I don't like vintage shopping Okay, I don't look to the past for inspiration, which many designers do, and it's wonderful and it's great, and mm-hmm. I'm, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not me. I watch Jetsons. I look to the future. I want innovation. I want to see a new and improved version. When I first started Ruthie Davis, I used to call it high tech, high fashion. I actually trademarked high tech, mm-hmm. high fashion, and my whole idea was to like I was very literal at the beginning. I had a titanium wedge. Yeah. I had a graphite heel like my tennis racket, like yeah. I, you know, and which was great in the beginning because it got some press and so on and so forth. But I realized pretty quickly that the consumer didn't really care if it was titanium, titanium as long as it looked good or not. Like they mm-hmm. didn't care if it was literally titanium, and the titanium was like really expensive. So yeah. I kind of like <laughs> stopped doing that. But the point is, is I really think that collaborations are is. It's how I design my shoes every day. It's like, it's so it's to your point, yes, there's nothing new that you can totally new, but you can, you can do the new. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have a, a degree of the old and the new, but it's still going to be new. Yeah. And it's going to be something you haven't seen before, yeah. you know? It's, it's like and, a lot of creative processes where you're, it's an amalgam of, of what's going on in, in the cultural zeitgeist. Right. And I think what designers can rightly get upset about is when a fast fashion purveyor is not only appropriating the designs that, that the, the smaller designer, if you will, has come out with for that season, but maybe the whole context in which they've come out with them. 
You know, it's one thing right. to say, oh, we came up with the same A-line skirt for this season, but we're shooting it in the exact same way as this brand. Right. And we're using the same sort of lighting right. techniques. That's a whole and, other level. Yeah. Right. You know, then it's, it's, it's fair to say I'm generating goodwill by sort of being on the forefront of style. This person right. who can do things very, very quickly is just, just riding my jet right. stream. So to answer also your question about collaborations and do they come organically and everything – you know, I think that's what's important is you got to like figure out your niche. It's a very crowded, competitive marketplace. And part of it is, is what you like as a brand or what your, you know, your brand ideas, but also listening to what works and what the consumers want from you and what the market wants from you. And one thing I've, that's been with me since day one with my brand is it was, it was adopted by the entertainers pretty early on, Beyonce, Gaga, Ariana Grande. And I always tell people, they say, well, why these? And I say, well, think about it. These are, these are women who want to feel great on stage and they have to move. So they go to me because my shoes, they're high, they're this and that, but they're actually comfortable because I, I'm a woman designing them and I test drive them. I make sure you can move in them because I'm Mm -hmm. all about movement. You know, one of the reasons I do a lot of platforms is because they're more comfortable then when you see a stiletto, which mm-hmm. is like there's no platform in the front. Right. Those are the ones where your feet hurt at the wedding and you have to kick your shoes off. The platforms do not hurt. And is that because there's some cushioning in the toe there? It's because or? it's it's the, it's all about the pitch. Okay. So like if if you know if you see ah it, so the slope is less it's a lot typically less. in a platform exactly it's almost like up. a lower heel right because you're just higher up it's like a stilt yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's really more about balancing than yeah. your feet hurting. So it's, it's, um, you know, so that's why I do a lot of platforms because they're actually more comfortable and you can move, you know, better in them. But um, you get the height and a right. lot of women want that yeah. height. I mean, let's and face you get it, the it, height. it. So, it, but in any event, so people, I've always had this connection with sort of the entertainment world and, and all of that. And it's evolved to where like, the collaborations that came about, like I did the Minions from Universal Studios. Now I'm doing Disney Princess, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is, I'm listening. I don't, I don't just like create the story. I also listen to the story and let it evolve naturally. And I like that story that like the Ruthie Davis, people think of it as whimsical and kind of entertainment-like yeah. and marketing driven. And so they see me as, being good, you know, where entertainment and fashion come together, which I think is a very exciting new uh, coming together in the industry, mm-hmm. which, I mean, obviously it's huge now. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, they're all overlapped now. Yeah. But despite Beyonce and Lady Gaga and other very famous wearers, I think probably the biggest influencer of your brand has been you. So my next question really relates to how have you used social media to the brand's advantage and, you know, helped maintain that, that integrity and authenticity in terms of showing the product. Well, the integrity is real simple. I do it. <laughs> so those yeah. are your legs. Yeah. I mean, well, no, the pictures are a lot of them are my legs. Yes. Um, it's my legs and the younger, better version of my legs. <laughs> so I have a model. Um, who's, who's your body double? Yeah. She's my body double. <laughs> Um, but her legs are better than mine. I'll admit it. Again, I like having, you know, I'm all about a woman could be prettier than I am. 
um, better legs than I do. So she's amazing. And so it's usually one of the other's legs. Um, and the reason I use my own legs a lot is because at the end of the day, people want to see my shoes and how they look in an outfit or how they look on the legs. And when I'm traveling, I'm in different places. They don't really want to see a picture of me. I, I've been putting up, when I put pictures of my full body up, it's because I want to show my shoes in the context of an outfit. That's why I do that, you know, because a lot of people, they think, oh, how can I wear shoes that high or how, you know, they have this image of the type of outfit yeah. and I want to show them it looks good in this outfit or this outfit. So, but they really like what I call shoe which is like a selfie for your shoes. Okay. So I actually, it, you know, I take it like, it's like a selfie, but instead of being up here, it's down there. You probably know exactly the angle. You I know need the to, angle. Yeah, I've got yeah. it down, and so a lot of them are. I, that is why I use my legs because I want it to be authentic and mm -hmm. um, to show that I wear the shoes too. Again, yeah. walk the walk. I mean, a lot of my competitors are men, and they don't wear the shoes. Mm -hmm. So how can they make sure they're comfortable? How can they know? you know, the context of a woman's leg and her, you know, that's another big part of my whole thing is um, I, and, and part of the authenticity of the brand is as a woman, I know what women want. I know what we, we like our ankles to look slim. We like our, you know, I know the parts of the foot to accentuate. Mm -hmm. I know how to make your leg look attractive. And that's why I always show these leg shots because actually a lot of girls legs can look really good in my shoes it's not I mean I'm not a model you know so it's um it's it's really about and my belief and one of the reasons I love shoes is because I really feel like they become one with the body much more so than any other item you put mm. on because it's part of your your uh, architecture right it becomes part of your structure yeah and so it's a very interesting product to work on in that regard because it really does say a lot about a person and it affects how they walk and how they move yeah. and so yeah but getting back to my instagram you know it's funny because i do do the instagram i do all the so uh the instagram stories everything and i've had people you know who work for me in the past or and you know they actually are like oh well you shouldn't be answering their questions like you're ruthie davis you shouldn't answer they're you you can't appear to be like you have to be like bigger than that, and Some I just think star that's chamber a, above it all. Yeah, see, I just don't buy into any of that. Well, I, I agree. That's the whole. That's the whole benefit for the consumer, and that whole notion of authenticity is you yeah. can interact directly with Ruthie Davis. You can like her picture, comment on She's it. She's a real person. She yeah. wears the shoes. Ask her how the shoes fit. Yeah. She will tell you. You know, they even they do Instagram message me. Mm -hmm. I answer a lot of them. Um, you know, I'm very into being down to earth and real with it. I mean, that's kind of my message. You know, I don't position myself as like some famous designer, you know, that's untouchable. Well, obviously, I'm not like a household name famous designer. But my point being is like I very much want to be the every person that you can do this to, mm -hmm. you know, and be accessible to people. Right. Well, so as a female CEO... Um, you present yourself in a certain way. I mean, the laws of style, I talk about how, you know, a lawyer or other men who are white-collar professionals can best present themselves, and it's usually for my money and tailored clothing. But how do you choose to present yourself? Or maybe I'll ask the question in a, in a different way, and I'll, I'll go into my four Ws about what you're wearing today, and we can, we can riff a little bit as to how you present yourself. So, you know, the, the, the who, what, where, and when, when being seasonal – 
of what you have on today. Can we just break Start it down? Yeah, maybe okay. from from the ground well, up, maybe because okay, of great. shoes. Right. Well, obviously, <laughs> I've got Ruthie Davis okay. on. Okay, and I'm noticing the platform element, right? Yes, so I've got you a walked platform, in both Ruthie style Davis and comfort in today. Exactly, All right. exactly. Um, today, I'm actually wearing uh, Ruthie Davis shoes, cushiony dress. Cushiony dress. And I have a Balenciaga bag. Yes. I've noticed I that staring at me all day. I have Isabel it's... Morant earrings. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Um, iWatch, Hermes iWatch. Okay. Um, and uh, what else do I have on? Oh, my jacket is uh, Rick Owen. Okay. Am I missing something? No, I think you're, you you have some other jewelry on, but we can oh, these are, um, maybe personal yeah, items. They're, well, they're little. I like all the Paloma Picasso for Tiffany. For Tiffany. Because it's yeah. the words. This is yeah. love. Yeah. I'm big on words and messages, and I put them on shoes. A lot of the Disney princess shoes have words on them. Uh, your uh, your oh, hair yeah. brooch yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these say, these which is say not angel. In the shot. Okay, nice. Angel. <laughs> well, and in terms of seasonality, and it may really just be the shoes oh, that's and the a, dress. Okay, no, that's a good question. Okay, so I'll jump in there. First of all, I'm going to tell you a little, few things about Ruthie Davis. I told you I don't like vintage and all that. I like the new. Right. Okay. I am obsessed about getting a fresh one. Okay. I like the latest, greatest, newest. And I never shop on sale. I don't want sale items. I don't care how great a sale it is because that means it's old. That mm. means it's, it's the last season. That means someone might have tried it on and put it back, not touching it. I am, like I said, a futurist. I'm always looking forward. So I like... I'm always going to be wearing the latest, greatest, newest. Now, with that said, of course, thank God for the real, real, where... <laughs> I was about to say, Mark Lee and Terry Lundgren, you know, they must yeah. all love you because you're the consumer that, oh, that, yeah. that they all want. I want the, you know, the newest arrival. I so only many go consumers to new are conditioned yeah. to shop only on No, sale. and you know what? It's my industry, and I support the industry is the mm -hmm. way I look on it, you know, because I want people to shop new arrivals from me, too. Yeah. at full price mm -hmm. you know so i do it i try to walk the walk there yeah so everything i'm wearing is like brand new season mm -hmm. nothing's like it's all like spring 19. and so, then you put it on commerce once it's not new and you you take yeah, your once haircut. i've worn it i mean yeah. certain things are classics you'll keep like that rick owen jacket i've had for like a while oh, like ace. three years like yeah. a long time this will be forever you know yeah. so these my ruthie davis boots i tried and you know my shoes i they're not they're very minimal mm -hmm. my shoes they're very you know they're not trendy but they're on trend like i'm i'm big on designing shapes that fit with the current fashion okay so it's it's very much about the shapes than the adornment What's, you know it's interesting you know as you've described shoes as almost a, an extension of of the foot mm -hmm. or an appendage you know because that's an interesting way to look at it that you're not really designing a thing so much as you're fitting it within the woman's well, i mean it's 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 how you walk around too yeah. it's it's like little it's cars in direct for contract your feet. with you and the yeah. planet it's yeah. interesting because when i used to draw a lot and you know, obviously now I draw shoes, but when I was growing up, I look back. I've looked back at drawings and stuff. I used to draw shoes. Mm -hmm. I would draw like my ski boot, my top sider. Yeah. You know, I didn't create. Do you still have those? I do have yeah, some of those. Yeah, gotta, the, I know. I got to pull those the out. The retrospective, you know, yeah. when you open a brick and mortar, yeah, is gonna be. I amazing. have pictures I've drawn of of cars, like our Jeep. Growing mm -hmm. up, we had a Jeep, and then buildings. Mm -hmm. 
I, I like to draw, like I did watercolor at Bowdoin and I used to do buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I think back of it in junior high under what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wrote architect. So I think of myself still as an architect, you know, with these, with shoes. And I definitely, you know, I'm obsessed with mid-century modern architecture. I like minimalism, like in my apartment, like my hobby is to keep getting rid of things. Like less is more, less is more. I mm -hmm. like the bones. I'm a bones person versus the stuff. Like I like to see the bones of the building. I like to see, you know, that's why I dress very fitted, mm -hmm. very, um, a lot of monochromatic. So getting into your next question of my style, personal yeah. style, it's like monochromatic, it's fitted, it's playing with, um, you know, mid-century modern is very indoors, outdoors. Right. You know, a lot of glass. Yeah. So you're not really sure if you're in or out. It's all one level. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like that with my fashion. I like to play with the cutout. I love cutouts. Mm -hmm. I love see-through. Mm -hmm. You see me in a bunch of see-through. Here see -through. we have cutouts, by the yeah. way. I like to like play with that, and the same with my shoes. It's all very I PG, do... listeners, by the way. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of uh, clear plexi on my shoes, clear uppers, clear heels. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited by either the space or the lack of space. Right. And it's really all about the linear sort of package. And um, you know, I, I I was thinking about uh, you know someone asked me about you know what's my look or whatever. And I was like, you know, I can sum it up like pretty much at any moment I could be ready to go skiing down a mountain. Like I have a downhill ski racer look. I like an aerodynamic look. You know, yeah. it's, it's like it moves. Well, and you mentioned Bond girl or Bond maybe villainous, right? Yeah. Um, and this touches on one of my personal style mandates or one of the laws of style is looking capable and elegant, which they may seem at odds with one another, but right. when you strike that balance right of, of looking capable for action but still elegant, that's when, you know, I know I've, I've no, done it's it that, right. No, it's that perfect, again, yeah. that collaboration of those two things, the perfect mix. And, you know, I, I have read your book. I am a friend of yours, so I'm aware <laughs> of, of, you know, your story. Right. And... I will tell you that I do very much admire what you're doing, and I think it's really, really important and valid. And I do think it's um, it, it has a makes a huge difference on you know how you feel about how how your day goes, how you present yourself to people. I really respect people who are buttoned up, you know. And I, I again, I'll bring it back to my sporting. You know, when when you had a sporting event, you had to be prepared. You had to have your equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise you were going to be cold or you weren't going to, you know. So it's like you had to have your hair done properly, right? You're playing a tennis match. You had to, have right. you, you know, had to be in place. You had to have the right this, the right shoe. Everything had to be, like, ready to go. And I yeah. think of it as, like, armor. And, and I think in, in the working world, you know, the lawyer world, the fashion world, I really respect people who present themselves as buttoned up and polished. And they, you know, like you said, there's an elegance and there's a personality sportiness, but it's it's respectful of other people. That's a very good point. You it know? is it is about being respectful to others and the sense of occasion that you are in. So whether that is and and really the fourth W is why 
why did you come dressed like this? And, right. and probably one of you had various meetings today, but you knew you would be on. And so to, to well, I'll let you answer it, but you know, yeah. the sense of occasion that you have over certain things, whether it's a, a black tie event that we've been to together on occasion, Absolutely. but just showing up for work and looking work appropriate, I think is, is becoming a little bit of a lost art. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's self-expression, and I don't, I don't do it in a frivolous way. I don't spend hours primping. Right. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's more about, you know, even since I was a young girl and, and just the family I grew up in, my sisters, my mom, you know, we would lay our out, we always laid our outfit out for school the night before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my outfit for today was picked yesterday. You know, I lay it out, I plan it. I, you know, and it, it, it's not like I, ha- I'm, I'm not one of those people who tries on 20 things before I know it. I'm pretty quick, like yeah. that, that, and that. And, but, you know, I'll, I'll figure a few things out, but I do want to do the best. I always like to be the best I can be. If I'm going to a black, if you ask me to a black tie event, I want to look as good as I can look that night. I want to, if it's a black tie, I should be in a gown. Mm-hmm. I've got to have a, you know, kick ass Ruthie Davis shoe. <laughs> and, you know, I've got to, like, look, ele- you know, I've got to get my hair. I've got to get my – I'm not going to shortchange it yeah. because it's, again, it's, it's just part of the – to me, that's the creative outlet. I mean, it's just what you do. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, no, I'm – and I'm, you know, obviously I'm really into it. I mean, I love planning outfits. I love personal style, the whole concept of style. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a hobby, I guess, also. Yeah. Well, you do a lot of mentoring, both in connection. We have time for one more question, but I think this yeah. is a good one to end on um, because it, it's really about you giving back. Um, I guess describe that process. I mean, you do it for, for your business school, for the CFDA, but you know, maybe my question is more, what do you get out of it? Because it is an investment of time to mentor. Uh, what do you get out of it, and how, what have some of those experiences been? Well, I think I get more out of it than than the students, yeah. <laughs> the mentees. Um, I absolutely love working with, you know, young people. Um, anything that I've done that I can share, you know, I feel like why not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had people share more with me, so I'm very vocal about, you know, giving them advice or anything. I always preface it with, like, listen, this is just one person's idea. You right. don't have to take me as the gospel, right. but this is what, what I think. Yeah. You know, but I don't, I try not to preach. Um, but I really enjoy the energy and the excitement of young people. It gets me excited. Um, you know, I don't have children and uh, I have a lot of nieces and nephews. Um, I have a lot of interns and then I have these people that I mentor. And that to me is just like, I don't know, it's like my thing. You know, so it it really works well for me. I love doing it. Um, And, you know, in fact, uh, what day is today? I'm going to University of Delaware Friday uh, meeting, the first kickoff meeting with um, like uh, nine students that I'm, I have a group that I'm mentoring. We're going to actually design some shoes together, some sustainable shoes. Wow. Um, So I have like a whole thing I'm doing there. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like I get paid to do those things, right. um, but it's it's how you play it forward. And um, but again, I always leave more inspired, and I feel I feel lucky that that they want me to come talk. Yeah. You know, I feel honored because it's like I get that 
you know, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm appreciative of it. Well, Ruthie, our time is up. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for coming in. Um, people can follow you on your various social media feeds at? Yes. Ruthie underscore Davis. Um, and that's both for Twitter and Instagram? Yes. And oh. then uh, I have Facebook page, Ruthie Davis. Yeah. I don't think there's an underscore. Um, also Pinterest. And, yeah, Pinterest, and I think that's all I do now, yeah. Excellent, so. excellent. And your website, which is ruthydavis.com. Yes, and they can shop on my website. And if they sign up, they get lots of special deals. We have, like, a special membership thing, so. Excellent, excellent. Well, again, thanks for coming in. I'll this be seeing you very soon. And yes, yes, absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Laws of Style with Douglas Hand. For more information go to our website at www.hballp.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at Hand of the Law. Thank you for tuning in and stay stylish.